0: That would be okay. <laughs> thanks, Larry. <laughs> He's not going to do it, but he wants other people to do it. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> well, I want to I just... Take us back in time into uh, 1933, actually. And the year 1933 started off as a very, very difficult year for our friends south of the border. See, 1932 had been an election year, and no surprise, the two main political parties in the United States had presented very, very differing ideas about a vision for the future of the country and solving the challenges that face them. And not only were there different uh, ideas put forward, but the demeanor that was presented was also very, very different. See, we had an outgoing president in the United States in 1933, Edgar Hoover, and Hoover was widely seen as dour and unremittingly grim, is how historians usually describe him. And then the president-elect, the incoming president in 1933, was Franklin D. Roosevelt, and he genuinely exuded congenial, congeniality and confidence. But all was not well in the United States at the start of 1933. By the time that uh, FDR got up on March the 4th for Inauguration Day, a financial crisis had closed most of the banks in the country. And industrial production had plummeted. It was down uh, to about half of what it was a mere few years earlier. There were over 13 million people who were unemployed. Farmers were in desperate straits. They weren't sure if they were going to be able to sell the crops that they were planting in the ground that spring because commodity prices were tumbling so much. And so up to the microphone to give his inaugural presidential address, steps Roosevelt. And he was a person that was familiar with personal adversity. He'd actually run for, was on the ticket in 1920, and he was on as the vice president. And he'd been so soundly defeated that people suggested he should never run for office again. And then in 1921, when he was visiting uh, Canada, he contracted polio. And so he was confined to a wheelchair. And it was widely assumed that his political career was over. The country was now facing the precipice of the Great Depression, and FDR steps up to the microphone, and he said what has now become a famous, if often misquoted, phrase. First of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. In every dark hour of our national life, a leadership of frankness and of vigor has met with that understanding and support of the people themselves which is essential to victory. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, he said. It's a masterful piece of oratory. But the question is, Is it true? Is fear itself something to be feared? Well, psychologists tell us that there are various kinds of fear. And they tell us that uh, there's a fear that comes into our bodies and our autonomic nervous system responds to danger. In when we are afraid, we begin to sweat, our pulse quickens. We're preparing to either run away or to fight something. There's also a fear of fear that we can develop where we have an inability to actually go into any situation that might scare us. And so we can't tolerate short-term discomfort of feeling afraid. And this often leads to avoidance of any or all of these types of situations. But the late existential psychologist, Rollo May, points out that fear actually doesn't really even exist in and of itself. It it's, has to be tethered to something or someone. If you're afraid, you are afraid of something. Something in the world or an event or something that is going to happen. And so in some ways, FDR might not have been right. You cannot actually necessarily be afraid of fear in and of itself. You have to actually go to the next step and ask, why am I afraid or what is creating or causing that fear? So way back in the first century, the Roman Stoic philosopher Seneca had maybe a stronger piece of advice when it comes to our fears. He said this, Remember, however, before all else, strip things of all that disturbs and confuses and to see what each is at bottom. You will then comprehend that they contain nothing fearful except the actual fear. On the surface, it kind of sounds the same as what FDR was saying. But Roosevelt is saying that we need to be afraid of the general feeling of fear itself. But Seneca is saying the feelings of fear shouldn't be feared, but rather they should be examined. They should be unearthed. They should be poked at to try and figure out what's going on. Seneca understood fear's power to actually immobilize us, to disturb and confuse us, and to mask sometimes what's really going on in our lives. And so his advice was rather simple. If you want to face and overcome your fears, the very first thing that you need to do is seek to understand what lies beneath them. What lies beneath your fears? What are the things that, as Pastor Wally said, What are your hopes and your dreams, but also your fears? What are the things that you carry into this year that you are afraid of? Well, as we start into this new year here at Jericho, we're launching into a teaching series called Fear Not. And we're going to explore together some of the things that might create fear or cause fear to well up in our hearts and in our lives. And in our community. And we're going to examine them. We're going to look at them from as many angles as we can. And ask ourselves, how should we feel about this? Should we be afraid of it or not? And part of that process means we actually have to dig a little bit deeper. We have to go at them. And we have to understand and take Seneca's advice approach, to poke at it, to scratch at it a little bit and figure out, uh, ask some questions of it and listen to alternative points of view and explore experiences that might differ from our own. And we're going to go to the scriptures as our guide and our source for life to find out what is it that God has to say about fear. So let me give you two quick examples of things that are coming up uh, in our talks together. Sometimes, uh, the news gives you the impression that you should be afraid of Muslims. And so next weekend, we're going to bring in a special guest. is a friend of uh, Gary and Betty's. And he's an author and a former Paralympian, Paralympic athlete. And he's going to share his story. And there'll be times for questions and for responses uh, at the end of our morning together. And so I'd invite you to be with us uh, next weekend as we probe into that. Another uh, topic that sometimes when I hear people talk about it or think about it is First Nation spirituality. And is that something scary? Should we feel it? Should we fear it? Should we embrace it? And I think we need to understand more about it to understand whether or not it contains something we can learn from or embrace or if there are parts of it that we need to be attentive to. And so I'm going to have some friends of mine, John and Jen Johnstone, who work with our church planting network, C2C, and they're going to come in and talk about their experiences uh, working with First Peoples. And they're going to do an interactive exercise for us on the family day long weekend that'll help us. So those are just a few examples examples of topics that we're going to explore uh, as we go in together to this series. And if you have suggestions about topics you want us to engage with, then email me or talk to me or Pastor Wally and we'll explore putting them in the mix together. So uh, as we dive in, we need to look at and say, what does the Bible actually say about fear? So if we look into the Bible we see that uh, the Bible uses the word fear in two very different ways. And the first way that the Bible uses the word fear is when it talks about the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is a description of a reverential awe and worship. This is actually the most common way that the Bible uses the word fear, the fear of the Lord. So, for example, in Psalm chapter 112, it says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, who delight in obeying God's commands. And so, this isn't an emotive kind of reaction where you're scared of something, it's an, an appreciation of who God is and God's character. Uh, And his wisdom and his might and his power and all the things we talked about and learned about in our series in Revelation. And so many times when the Bible is talking to us about how we approach God, it reminds us to approach God in reverence and in worship and with a, a spirit of fear. Again, not being afraid, but just rightly understanding who it is that we are in conversation with, the almighty king of the universe. So that's not the type of fear that we're talking about when the Bible says, uh, when we're talking in this series about fear not. That's a a type of fear, an attitude that we want to embrace. But the second way that the Bible uses the word fear, which is uh, really what we're talking about, is something that causes us anxiety, distress, a concern or a threat for one's present or one's future, well-being. Sometimes this is an event that occurs outside of our lives in the world and it causes us to be afraid. Sometimes it's tied to a person or a situation that is familiar to us. Maybe going back to school strikes you with fear and dread tomorrow if you're a student. Maybe you're starting into 2018 uh, into a new venture of some kind and you're not sure if it's going to succeed. And so that sense of dread about the future and, and what the future might hold or might not hold. And there's some examples in the Bible of what this kind of fear does to us very often. This fear can do things like paralyze us actually just get us to the place where we're completely stuck. We're, we're almost immobilized. We can't move. It uh, talks about that in when the people of Israel were facing uh, the city of Jericho and Joshua. Or uh, it talks about uh, uh, times when this type of fear can prevent us from experiencing rest. It can keep us up at night. Just going over and over things in our mind, in our hearts, just worried, consumed with anxiety. It can nurture a set of frantic thoughts in us so that uh, sometimes we act frantically or we get panicky and we rush into things or uh, we don't think clearly about the actions that we need to take or fear can grip us and cause us to take no action whatsoever. It can make us feel like we're just stuck and we're trapped and we're never going to get out of this cycle that we're in. And you might have your own examples to add to that list of what fear does to you. But there's something else that I want us to think about this morning. And that is just, I want us to look at with honest eyes, a list of people. And this is just taken from the Old Testament who were invited not to be afraid. People who experienced fear and, and God spoke to them about it. If you look at this list. It's pretty much everybody in the Old Testament that at some point had an encounter where God had to come to them and say, don't be afraid. Think about Abram facing the unknown, invited by God to go to a land that God will show him. And God comes to him and says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Think about Hagar. She experiences profound rejection from Abram and Sarah and from that family. And so she flees into the wilderness and God meets her there and says, you know what? Even though other people don't love and care for you, I want you to know that you don't need to be afraid. I'm with you. I will protect you. Jacob, Isaac, Moses, the people of Israel, Joshua, when he stands on the precipice of going into the new land, God meets him and says, I I don't want you to be afraid. Even though the armies and the peoples that are there that are aligned against you are so much stronger than you, don't don't be afraid, I'm, I'm with you. Just over and over and over again, every single one of the prophets in the Old Testament, at some point, God came to them and said to them, do you know what? The things that I've called you to do are very difficult and challenging. And it is not going to be easy for you. People are not going to like what you say. There's going to be resistance. This is not a task for the faint of heart. And so, don't be afraid. I am with you. It includes kings and leaders who face difficult and complex decisions and situations and wondered, am I making the right call? Am I doing the right thing? It includes men and women who learned At their best to trust God and walk with him. And in their weaker moments took the path of least resistance and gave in to fear and frailty. But here's the thing that I find so encouraging about their stories. If their stories are written down for us. And God had to tell each of them not to be afraid. It means that actually for you and I. We're in really, really good company if we feel afraid. Because God had to speak to each one of these people in their points of need. Experiencing fear is just part of the human condition. And God, in God's grace and his mercy, he understands that. And he comes to us and he meets us where we are at. See, sometimes I I get a little bit worried and concerned that in our culture today, we've developed a culture of leadership that's rooted in bravado and certainty. And we do like leaders who stand up there and say, don't worry, follow me. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. And there's an element to that which is healthy and fine, but there's also actually, for me, a danger uh, if someone is not in touch with an element of reality and they're not, they're not afraid a little bit to kind of be in touch with their own areas of weakness if they never allow themselves to be touched by fear. But you can be touched by fear and not be paralyzed by it. And that's why God came to these people over and over and over again in their moment of need and actually helped them move from that place of fear to the place where God gave them an instruction. He said, fear not. And you don't have to say fear not to somebody who's not experiencing fear. No one tells someone, don't be afraid, if they're not afraid. But also, when God came to these people and said, fear not, it wasn't just a nice suggestion that he would like them to take under advisement or a good idea. It's a command Or instruction. See everything inside of us that causes us to fear. That causes us to pull away from God. And from other people. And yet God comes and still says do not be afraid. Some of us are prone to living in places where we let our fear guide and govern us. And if if that's you. It's important to hear this morning that the biblical instruction fear not. Is an invitation that God holds out. Because there's an unhealthy kind of fear that can take root in our lives and grip us that's the opposite of faith. And it's something that keeps or prevents us from loving God and others well and moving into 2018 with a healthy sense of trust in God. And in those places of fear, that's where God speaks the most common phrase in the Bible. I am with you. And that is the reason why God says Don't be afraid. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, God says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. God says, Don't be afraid, not because your circumstances may not warrant fear. He says, You don't be afraid because I am with you. Two weeks ago at Christmas, we celebrated Emmanuel, God with us. And the reason that we're told not to be afraid in life is not that life is going to be easy or that somehow walking with Jesus solves all of your problems. The reason that we can live our lives free from the controlling grip of fear is that God is with us. Not in a distant kind of impersonal way out there in the universe somehow or somewhere. God very personally, very intimately knows every detail of your life and the year that is going to unfold for you and for me And for us. And if there's one thing that God wants you to hear and know as you stand on the beginning of a new year. Is do not be afraid for I am with you. Don't be consumed by fear when you think about 2018. Don't let fear be the guiding force in your decision making. When you look at the doctor's appointment coming up on the calendar when you think about the opportunities and the challenges ahead of you, do not be afraid, God says, because he is there with you to strengthen and to help you, to uphold you and to guide you. And yet so often in our lives, fear actually causes us to do exactly the opposite. It causes us to pull back or to shrink back and to hide, to put on a mask and pretend all things are fine, I'm, I'm good, don't worry about me, or to pretend to be something or something that we're not because we're afraid sometimes that if people knew the true us, they would reject us. But if we recognize and affirm that God is walking with us, then we also need to acknowledge that we are invited to walk with him. And so the third element of facing and overcoming our fears is to learn to bring our whole selves into the presence of Almighty God. See, in Isaiah 41, God says and is declaring his desire and his intention to strengthen and to help, to guide and to shepherd. And in Isaiah 41, God's chief complaint is, I'm here to do this for you and with you. And yet you're running after everything and everyone else for help and assistance, trying to deal with your problems and your fears. You don't come to me with them. And the solution is exactly to come into the presence of God, to run when you're afraid, not away from him, but toward him, to bring your whole self into his presence and say, here I am, God. This is what I'm afraid of. This is how I feel about this situation in my life with all of my faults, all of my concerns, all of my fears, all of my worries. And yet so often fear causes us to do exactly the opposite. To this. And that's why we actually include a daily reading from the Psalms in our Project 345 Bible reading plan in the Jericho Ridge app. And in Psalm 34, the language uh, that's used is, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. And so we're reminded here that one of the responses to fear is prayer. To That's one way we bring our whole selves into the presence of God and ask him to help us with our fears. Uh, this is a picture on the screen of our dog, Poppy. Our dog is a little dog. She is afraid of lots of things. She's afraid of bigger dogs, but she is particularly afraid of fireworks. How many of you have dogs that are, or animals that are afraid of fireworks? All right. So our dog does not like New Year's Eve, Halloween, Canada Day, like any day where there are loud and obnoxious noises happening outside. Uh, it gets a little bit tricky. But the worst thing to do for our dog, when Poppy, is when there's fireworks happening, is just to leave her alone and say, get over it, dog. You know, suck it up, buttercup. Just toughen up a little bit in there. Stay in your crate and you'll figure it out. You know? What the dog wants most in those situations is to actually come right to where we are. To get as close to us as she can. So the solution is to allow Poppy to actually get right and snuggled up to you. And as, as you kind of, she feels and experiences that, she's like, okay, I'm safe. It's going to be okay. The loud noises are still happening, but I can just tuck myself in here and, and you as my owner are going to protect me from all those things that I'm afraid of. And for me, that actually forms a pretty good picture of what prayer can be like. See, I, I keep a prayer journal. And when I get up in the morning... And when I spend time with God, I often open my, open my journal and it's like I'm coming to God, and I'm saying, "Hey God, there's a lot of fireworks going on in my life, around me, in our home, in our neighborhood, in the church, in the world, lives of people here at Jericho. And those things could cause me to freeze with fear and be paralyzed. But I'm coming to you in prayer. And I'm asking you to remind me again that you are bigger than my fears. And I'm asking you again for help. And I want to get as close to you as I possibly can so that I can experience that sensation of knowing that you are with me and speaking to me and calming my heart and freeing me. And I'm going to challenge you in a few moments to maybe take some time this morning to do the same. Maybe you want to make prayer a priority. Sometimes we make resolutions and talk about oh, I want to really improve my prayer life and then we think, well, how would I go about doing that? I don't want to just make a practice of just finding a time and saying, God, I'm choosing to get as close to you as I can. I want to listen to you. I want to pay attention to what it is that you're saying to me and your word through other people. I want to bring my concerns to you and lay them on the table, my fears, and invite you to speak to me. Bring your whole self to God in a time of prayer. It's not just a defensive posture to prevent fear. It also gives you a sense of boldness and courage to live out a better story. In Psalm 112, the writer, after he talks about being afraid, later on in verse 4, the writer says, Light shines in the darkness for the godly because they're generous, they're compassionate, they're righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and they are fearless. See, when we live in a way that reflects God's character and his heart to the world, there's a confidence and a boldness that comes along with that. We can live in the world in such a way that we embrace a better story, that we are the people of God who are generous and who are fair and who can face bad news, not glibly or disingenuously, because we remember that God is right there with us. Therefore, we will not be afraid. So as you come into 2018, we invite you to explore not only your hopes and your dreams for this year that you carry with you, but also your fears. What are the things that you need to bring into the presence of Almighty God and say, God, I'm just going to leave these here with you. I'm not going to fear fear itself. I'm going to stay as close as I can to you And I'm going to receive from you again the wonderful word of encouragement, do not be afraid. And the reason that you and I don't have to be afraid is we serve a God who is great and powerful and who loves and who cares for you and I. And he loved us so much that he sent His Son Jesus to demonstrate that love. And he did that by giving up his own life. And so we're going to celebrate communion together this morning. I invite Ron and the team to come up and they'll lead us in some songs of worship and response. And when we do communion here at Jericho, communion is for those who are part of God's family, who've said yes to Jesus to be their forgiver and leader. And so if that's you, we welcome you here at the communion table. And at Jericho, we just have the elements up here at the side and the front, And they're going to, the team, as they lead us in songs of reflection and response, whenever you're ready, you can come to the table and take the bread, which represents Christ's body who is broken for you so you can experience freedom from fear. And freedom from the controlling influence of shame and guilt. And so when you take it, take it with gratitude and also as a declaration of faith. And the cup represents the blood of Christ poured out for you and me. Poured out that you and I could experience forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So that we can live confidently and live with a sense of boldness because God is with us. And so you can take each element, you can take them back with you to your seat, and you can partake as you're ready. Our prayer team's going to be available at the sides and at the back. Uh, That's James and Katie and Pastor Mike as well this morning are available to pray with you and Constance. And you might want to just spend a few moments uh, and actually go and, and pray with them and say, you know what, as I go into this year, would you just stand with me in agreement? This is an area of my life that I want to ask God for increasing liberty in, increasing freedom from fear. And you want somebody to bear witness and stand with you in agreement and in faith. That's what those folks are privileged to do this morning. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand with me and whenever you're ready, you can move to the communion table as we remind ourselves that Jesus has overcome and that we live not on our own strength, but in the victory and the authority that he's won for us on the cross.